Recently, I was reading the book Atomic Habits, and one of the things that really stood out to me was the Goldilocks rule, which is the idea that people experience peak motivation when working on tasks right on the edge of their current abilities, not too easy so that they get bored and not too hard that they get overwhelmed. So in this episode, I figured we would talk about how we can apply the Goldilocks rule to all elements of our songwriting. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adela. Honored that you take some time out of your busy day and week to talk songwriting with me. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free guide, 10 Different Ways to Start Writing a Song, if you want to just dive right in to songwriting, or if you want to sort of rediscover some inspiration, if you've felt sort of uh, inspirationally dry here recently, because I think one of the best ways to always stay inspired and not really deal with writer's block is to keep changing up how we start our songs. Sometimes we reverse engineer them from a song title that sounds cool. Sometimes we start with a piano riff or sometimes we start with a guitar chord progression, sometimes maybe a bass line, maybe a melody, etc. So be sure to check that out. Link in the description as always. But Goldilocks rule. So this is something, and honestly, the book Atomic Habits, if you haven't already uh, read it, I highly recommend it. Um, I would recommend this to literally anyone. This is one of those books where like, I think anybody would gain something from it. And I understand that like it's loosely in the self-help category and people, I think, properly have a very low opinion of that genre as a whole, which I think is overall appropriate because overall the genre is garbage, or at least there is a lot of garbage in it. There's a lot of really uh, snake oil type crap in it. Um, but I think we need to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is some great stuff there. This book is fantastic. I'll put a link in the description for it um, if you're interested, but it, it would help not only with songwriting, which we're going to touch on in this episode, but with really all elements of life. I won't talk more about it just because we're, we want to concentrate on the songwriting side because this is songwriter theory, but uh, highly recommend it. It will help with songwriting. It will help with other things too. In fact, there's going to be like several videos. I already recorded several videos with with different things from Atomic Habits and how it relates to songwriting. Uh, that's that's how applicable it is to uh, songwriting specifically. But it's not a songwriting book, so as you can imagine, that means it's it's widely applicable to all parts of life. But anyway, first element I want to talk about with this Goldilocks rule principle, which again is that we experience peak motivation when we're working on tasks right on the edge of our current abilities. Not too easy, because if it's too easy, we're probably going to get bored and get stagnant. And if it's too hard, we'll just get overwhelmed and say, I can't do this. So one place to apply this to is with your instrument skills. And I lead off with this one because this is one that I was guilty of for a while. Uh, frankly, I probably stayed pretty stagnant as a pianist or with my piano skills from somewhere like 16 to honestly like a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago um, where there really wasn't any, which I'm 29 for the record. So over 10 years, 
where I more or less was stagnant. I was pretty good for my age all the way up through, you know, 15 or 16. And then uh, largely stayed pretty stagnant. Now, a part of that was because I was concentrating on other things like getting better at singing and the songwriting element and all that other stuff. But overall, um, I realized recently, like, no, you know, I am, was I a high level enough pianist to do pretty much at least most things songwriting wise? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I still was like, yeah, but why limit myself? So all to say, I, I was guilty of this for a long time. It wasn't that I didn't, that I stopped playing piano. I just stopped intentionally practicing and working on things that are, that were on the edge of my current skills. I didn't do that for like 10 years and therefore I didn't really grow. And it's very easy to do that, right? It's very easy to keep doing the same exercise you've, the same exercises you've been doing and not force yourself to advance, right? It's easy to be like, oh, I'm going to like play the same seven, eight, nine songs I learned on guitar that I really like. And I'm just going to, you know, play them and then I'll do some scales that I've done forever and that will be my practice routine. But the thing is that, f first of all, that might incentivize you to quit because you might get bored. But maybe you love those songs enough that you don't quit and you don't get bored. Um, but you're probably not going to get much better. So something that I think is very important is we all take an honest look at where we are and try to figure out, okay, what is a weakness and address it. So just as, as an example, uh, something I got probably last year and then finally started really diving into the last, I don't know, four months or so. There's this book about a hundred different left-hand piano patterns, which I decided to pick up because I realized in my improvisation, like I basically had four or five different left-hand patterns that I gravitated to, maybe a few more if you count slight alterations. But uh, for the most part, where I felt I was most limited as a pianist was my left hand. My right hand, I'm not going to say it has no limits because I'm sure, of course that's not true, but uh, the the bottleneck for me playing piano uh, has not been the right hand in maybe ever, uh, but certainly not in the last 10 years. It's very much the left hand. So anyway, I bought that book. It's like 15 bucks on Amazon. And I've finally been going through it the last four months. And man, it is incredible how much of a difference it will make quickly when you are intentionally working on things that are at the edge. Even something as simple and benign seeming as like, here is a simple left-hand piano pattern that isn't difficult. It's just not something that I've done while doing something else in my right hand. And most of them are fairly simple arpeggios of different types, but I, you know, I hadn't really done it before. So therefore it was at the edge of my current skill and has resulted in probably me getting better as a pianist more so in the last like four or five months than the last like several years combined um, just by being intentional about it. So just for some practical advice on this, if you're a beginner guitarist who only strums basic open chords, things you can do are like add bar chords, right? Learn to do bar chords well. I know that every guitarist basically hates bar chords unless you're an expert. Uh, I feel like even intermediate guitar players still hate bar chords. Um, they are less 
they're more hesitant to admit it maybe, <laughs> but I think we still don't like them very much. Um, and then, you know, maybe you don't really do any finger picking or any picking, you know, with the pick, like individual notes at a time uh, in, in like an arpeggio or broken chord pattern. That would be another thing to work on, right? Don't limit yourself just to strumming. You could be elite at strumming, but that doesn't automatically translate to being good at finger picking. Uh, but that that is an important element for the, you know being good at the instrument of guitar, and it helps with writing too. Because even if you're armed with the exact same chords, let's say you only know four chords, which would be incredibly limiting. But let's just say you know only four chords. You still have way more options at your disposal if you know how to strum and to finger pick, right? It's just like something so small as a hammer on can add a ton to a song, right? But it's really very simple. It's just the idea of like you play a note and then you bring your finger down to bring it to the next note. I think that's a fair enough way to describe it, right? Um, it, it, very simple. But it's amazing how that one thing can really add quite a lot to a song. You can take a very benign, boring, frankly, chord progression and make it much more interesting just by throwing in like one or two hammer-ons. So take things like that and just be intentional about, okay, I'm going to learn this next. Or, you know, however many chords you know, learn one more chord shape. Pick, like, do one more chord shape per week. And you can start with filling out more open chords, if you don't know all the open chords already. Let's say you really do only know four chords. All right, add the fifth chord, right? Add, I don't know, A minor, if that, if you don't know that one yet. And then add E minor, if you don't know that one yet. You probably do. That's usually one of the first four, I feel like. But, um, you know, learn to do an F major open chord well, because I'm convinced that chord just sounds, like it, it sounds way better as a bar chord. But regardless, if you're a pianist um, and you're always doing like single note, bass parts, work on some different left-hand patterns. Uh, I'll, I'll put a link in the description for the uh, left-hand patterns book that I was talking about um, because I figure if I'm going to mention it, I might as well give you a way to actually find what I'm talking about because I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head right now. Uh, and I'll put a link for Atomic Habits as well. So this first area to apply Goldilocks rule is simply with our instrument skills. Now, this also would apply to vocally, right? I'm gonna, I'm not gonna dive into that. Um, although I will say, Chris Lipe on YouTube, fantastic resource for this. Um, I've gotten a lot from him. Great stuff. So, go check him out if you're looking for some things to work on for your vocals. Next, another place we need to apply the Goldilocks rule is with our writing skills. And our writing skills can basically be broken down into two different areas of skill, right? We have music writing and lyric writing. Let's talk about music writing first. So first of all, if we go back to the first thing we talked about, which is instrument skills, that is going to automatically help. Getting better at your instrument is going to automatically help your music writing skills because usually most of us, most of the time, are probably predominantly writing in a way that's basically improvise using whatever instrument until we find something that's like, oh, that's kind of cool, and then build a song off of that. That's oversimplifying to some degree, but that's probably how most of us work, right? Maybe you grab your guitar, 
you mess around and then you find a chord progression that resonates with you. You find yourself humming along to it. Boom. That's the beginning of your song. Or you're at a piano, you're messing around doing some arpeggios and broken chords. And then you find a riff that you're like, Ooh, that's kind of cool. Or a bass line with your left hand that you think, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then you build the song from there. So <clears throat> for most of us, the heart of songwriting is improvisation. And we will get better at improvising by practicing improvising, but also we'll get better at improvising just by getting better at our instruments. Whether that's just your voice, guitar, ukulele, bass, dr drums, doesn't matter. Any instrument, this will be true. So step one is just the first thing we talked about, right? Get better at your instrument. But then the next thing is learning one more piece of music theory. This is another thing where I think people sometimes just get overwhelmed, right? They're like, oh, there's so much music theory to learn. Like, yeah, that's true. But like, there's so much of anything to learn, right? I'm a software developer. There's like a bazillion languages, right? And there's like a, a, a ton of different frameworks and all this other stuff. But I don't really need to know all of those. First of all, there's foundational concepts that once I understand those, they apply to pretty much all the different languages. And then, like, just because there are, let's say there's like a million languages. There, I don't, there aren't that many, but let's be more accurate. Let's say there's like 100 languages. But 90% of the code that's written now uses, like, 90% of... 90% of the code that's written now uses, say, like, five of them, right? And I think, I think that's more or less accurate. I'm not going to get into what those are because you're probably already thinking he's talking about software for too long. My point is that in any area, there is an infinite number of things to learn. The key is understanding what is the foundational stuff you really need to know that gets you the best results, Applying the 80-20 rule to it, you know, what is the 20% that I can learn that gets me 80% of the results? So for music theory, if you know nothing, right, if you're listening to me and you don't even know, let's say you don't even know what music theory is. Music theory is not the same as knowing how to read sheet music. It has nothing to do with that. I have a whole video or maybe it was just a short, I don't remember. There's something recently on the YouTube channel of me explaining how they're not the same you can go check that out if you care. But um, if you know nothing, the first thing to learn is keys. Understanding, for example, that every major key is, is going to be defined by the steps of whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. Um, which, of course, then requires you to understand what a whole step is versus a half step. So, <laughs> which is why in my uh, four pillars of music theory that every songwriter needs to know, free guide, I'll put the link to that as well. And that free guide, the first thing I teach is intervals. And that's because intervals is at the at the foundation of both keys and then the other thing that I think is most important, which is understanding chords. So if you don't know any theory, the first thing that's helpful to know is something like, okay, I'm going to go to the piano or the guitar. You know, let's say I start with a C major chord you know, what, where else can I go from there? Cause I hit C sharp and it sounds crappy and I hit, uh, G sharp and it sounds crappy and I'm hitting so many notes and it's all like, uh, it feels like it, I'm just hoping to find something that doesn't sound super crappy. 
But once you understand keys, you can understand something like, oh, well, based on the first couple chords I played, it seems like I'm going to be in the key of G major, and the key of G major has C, D, E, F. I don't know why for G major I started with C. Uh, it has G, A, B, C, D, E, F sharp. Um, and then from there, learning chords and understanding that the chords you have in that in that key are then G major, A minor, B minor, C major, D major, uh, E minor, and then F sharp diminished, which you probably won't use. Uh, and those are just the main triads, of course, the sus chords and other things like that. But again, one step at a time. First thing to understand is, okay, I have a key. It, it might be as small as like, let me figure out the key of C major. Maybe you don't even figure out the underlying, you know, how to figure out what major keys are, which again is just for steps. It's whole, whole, half, whole, 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 half. Um, but you don't even have to start there. You can just start with like, you know what? I'm as a pianist, C major is probably the one I'm going to gravitate to the most cuz the easiest key of all for a pianist. So let me just learn C major really really well. And then you move on. Like, okay, second most common key, probably G major. So then you learn that really really well. Just go one step at a time. But never allow yourself sort of this like, oh, I'm good at like C major, G major and D major and uh F major. I'm good. Like, no, no, no. Go to the next one, right? Always be pushing yourself on, on sort of on the edge of what you understand. So once you understand all the main triads you have in any major or minor key, well, now it's it's time to dive deeper into like sus chords and add chords and seventh chords, which I guess you could see as just a very specific type of add chord. Um, so again, on the music writing side, Getting better at your instrument is going to help, especially if uh, I'm assuming here that you're doing the performer style songwriting, uh, which probably most of us do. I have videos breaking those down, so check those out if you care about that. Um, I think I had a podcast on it too. But overall, for getting better at music writing, get better at your instrument and learn a new piece of theory and then apply it is an important thing. Don't just learn theory. Learn a piece of theory and then apply that theory as you're writing, as you're improvising. Otherwise, it's it, you're not going to remember it long term. And the point of music theory is to be practical and useful for you as a songwriter, as well as an, being able to analyze what other writers are doing with their music. Those are like the two benefits of music theory. If, if you're not getting those from it, and it's just head knowledge, then who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, so be careful to, you know, again, people experience peak motivation when working on tasks right on the edge of their current abilities. Not too easy, not too hard. If you learn like tons of theory before you even apply any of it, then you're probably going way past that edge of current abilities or current knowledge in this case. Next is lyric writing for writing skills. So challenge yourself to do something more difficult in your lyrics. If you've mostly just written lyrics without diving into an editing process, uh, then, you know, start with a low-level version of an editing process. So we'll say that your writing process previously was something like you just kind of write words and then you kind of make sure that they fit. The syllables of the words fit into the meter of the melody. Um, 
But overall, for the most part, you're kind of just like, oh, hey, it works. That's great. Uh, and maybe you're, you, you know your lyrics exist, but they're not, they're not that great. One thing you can do in the editing process that will make a, a big difference is simply tell yourself, okay, I'm going to go through these lyrics that normally I would consider finished. And instead, every single verb, I'm going to look it up on thesaurus.com or some other tool if you prefer, or maybe don't even use a tool and literally just think of if you can figure out a better word for it. And then as I look at that word and look up, what synonyms of that word are, I'm going to ask myself, okay, is, is love a better word or is desire a better word, right? Um, is hate a better word or is disdain closer to what I'm trying to say? Just doing that can go a long way in your lyrics. And again, now you're just adding one new thing. That's it. It doesn't need to be this overwhelming, you never had a process before, and now you're going to, you know, do this 30-step process. No, you don't have to do that. Or maybe you don't understand three-act story structure or haven't implemented it into your song. So you can challenge yourself. Okay, I'm going to try to utilize, I'm going to learn a little bit about three-act structure, and then I'm going to apply that to one of my songs. So I'm going to say, okay. This song is going to have, let's say, three verses and a chorus. And each verse is going to be each act, and then the chorus is going to be the theme. Or maybe two verses and a bridge, and then choruses. In which case, it would be verse one, verse two, bridge would be the three acts, probably. Or you could have three verses and a bridge, and then you could basically have the three acts are largely in verse one, two, and three, but specifically you have the climax of the story in the bridge right before verse three. So you can challenge yourself to something like that, right? Or I, I haven't actually read it yet. I'm, of course, aware of the hero's journey, uh, being a Star Wars fan and a fan of just learning about uh, writing in general, I would say. Um, but I did buy the book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, which I haven't gotten to reading yet. Um, I've been reading some other stuff so right now, uh, but I plan to read that again for the purpose of, you know, the things I can glean that I can then add to uh, lyric writing. I also think it could just help in general with with writing and any kind of writing that I do. But um, just finding a specific thing that you don't understand about lyric writing or poetry and then, you know forcing yourself to practice that thing can go a long way. On the more specific to lyric writing and poetry writing side, you could learn and leverage meter or learn and leverage different rhyme schemes. So for example, did you not know that there were different types of rhymes? Did you not know that there were consonance rhymes and assonance rhymes and, uh, and and there were imperfect rhymes, uh, sometimes called slant rhymes. They're basically the same thing. Did you know about that? And if if not, did you know the difference between a consonance rhyme and an, and an assonance rhyme? Uh, if not, it might be worth looking that up because it can expand you to like, oh, you mean I don't have to have perfect rhymes all the time? Um, which you don't need to rhyme at all. Uh, 
I, I do think rhyming is a helpful tool. It just tends to be very overutilized, especially by novice songwriters who usually artificially have perfect rhymes every other line. And it just, you can tell that they like completely change their lyrics just to fit some arbitrary rhyme scheme, which you shouldn't do. Please don't do that. First of all, it's very obvious. And second of all, it usually ruins your lyrics very quickly. Um, but anyway, you know, just, just under, understanding a little bit more about meter can go a long way. And just understanding different types of rhyme schemes uh, and different types of rhymes can go a long way. But again, pick one, learn that thing, and then move on to the next thing. And then there's also recording and arranging skills. Sometimes I get questions from people on asking like what I recommend for for recording software or if I'm ever going to do videos on like teaching, mixing, and recording. And uh, the honest answer to that is probably not. Uh, I, I I might I've I've kind of done a few that are on arranging in your DAW in your digital audio workstation, uh, which I think fits with what I teach. It makes sense to add arranging because arranging is a type of writing. Um, so I, I I don't know that I'll ever get into uh, teaching recording and stuff, especially because there's recording revolution out there, which uh, is how I learned and it's fantastic. So I kind of just say, yeah, go go there. <laughs> uh, they do a great job, and I don't I, I don't I have my own thing that I'm doing over here, and they probably do it way better than I could do it anyway. Because recording is not my uh, forte. I'm not bad at it. I learned from Recording Revolution, but uh, I'm not. I'm not nearly as good as they are. So you should go check it out there. But um, overall, adding to your recording and arranging skills, you know, just learning the basics of recording music into a, a DAW on your computer. You don't have to get overwhelmed by like, oh, you know, I've only ever written a song where basically I grabbed my guitar, came up with a chord progression, sang over it, boom, song. And now you're like, oh, it's so overwhelming to like, I can't just record guitar and my voice. I got to record drums now and I got to record some other instruments to like fill in the mix and a bunch of electric guitars. So now I got to figure out how to arrange my whole song. No, you don't. I mean, eventually I think you should. Uh, and it's a total blast. But you don't have to learn that. Step one is just, okay, first get a digital audio workstation. Get get the the stuff that you need to record on a computer. You can get it easily for like 150, 200 bucks these days. Uh, certainly for 500, you could have a pretty nice home studio. So, you know, if you care specifically about the mixing side of things, just learn EQ and compression. Applying the 80-20 rule to mixing, it's clearly EQ and compression. Like that's 90%. That gets you like 90% of the results of a song. Uh, and then from there, learn reverb and delay. And then pretty much everything else is just like icing on the cake of that. If you're real, if you're elite at EQ and compression and reverb and delay, then your mixes are going to be great. And also, who said you can't start with just record your acoustic guitar and then record your vocals? Why, why can't you do that? Who, whoever said you couldn't do that? Um, and, and I understand that, like, I, I, if you feel this, I understand because I also feel this. Um, there's something about, there's a DAW staring at you and you're like, I can't just use two tracks, <laughs> right? I, I can keep layering in more and more instruments. Uh, but th there's no rule of that. 
So to so to start out, just learn how to record your acoustic guitar and make it sound pretty good. There's step one. That's it. Just worry about your acoustic guitar. Then just your voice. You know, maybe even release a whole EP that is just your voice and your acoustic guitar. Really, I should take should take this advice because uh, I I I mean I love arranging, so that's probably part of the problem. But anyway, that's a great place to start. Just just to like learn and get your feet wet with recording, and that is legitimate recording. You don't need to have all the other instruments. And then you know from there, learning the basics of arranging past that, right? Maybe you say to yourself, okay, I've done a song or a few songs or maybe in a whole EP or album's worth of just me and my main instrument. So now let me figure out how do you layer in more instrument parts and make it work? Because that is sort of a different, it is a different skill set than writing. It really is. Uh, it's, it's connected. Uh, it's connected by, if you understand music composition at a high level, then that applies to both writing and arranging. But a lot of songwriters don't really understand music composition because uh, you don't need to understand full music composition to be competent at writing music in the way that a songwriter does. Um, so just learning some of the basics of arranging can go a long way. So for example, in your, in your first mix, the first thing to try, let's say you're going to, you say, okay, let's try to have six instruments, six total pitched instruments. So not including rhythm stuff, no drums. Um, but as far as instruments that have a pitch like guitar, piano, ukulele, you know, more guitar parts, uh, synths, uh, strings, all, all that kind of stuff. And you say, okay, let's try to have six. One of the core things to understand and to work on is just having different, what you could call pitch pockets. The idea of it being don't have your piano part be in the same pitch range as your guitar part, which is in the same pitch range as your violin part, which is in the same pitch range as et cetera, right? Because that is how it sort of gets muddy because now all the instruments are fighting for the same pitch space. So just understanding that like, okay, I've, I have my piano part around C4-ish, so maybe you know, maybe I can get away with my acoustic guitar also being near there. But maybe for that third for that second guitar part, maybe it's an electric guitar part, that I should intentionally say, stay away from that C4 area. Maybe I go up to C5 type area. Or maybe I go up two octaves. And then for my bass part, luckily bass sort of automatically does this. For bass part, it's going to be more like C3. It's going to be way lower, right? And then... If I'm going to layer in a synth part, I'm like, hmm, well, I have two instruments around C4. I decided to put my other guitar around C6, and then I have like a C3 bass part. Um, so, so I notice there's a little bit of a gap or a little bit of a pocket where I can tuck an instrument in around the C5 range. And this doesn't need to be by octaves. They don't need to be that separate from each other. Um, but another pocket that you could look for is a rhythm pocket. Um, you don't want all of your instruments in the exact same rhythm. Now, sometimes you intentionally do want that. But a lot of times, it's really your song is a bunch of different rhythms coming together. They're not really all the same. So just as like an easy example of this, if you hum the chord progression of a song... 
doesn't really matter what note in the chord you pick, versus then humming the melody, those are not the same rhythm, right? Like the the melodic note doesn't change and the chord change at the exact same time every time. That's not the like almost no song does that. Old hymns do that, and that's basically it. So this is a really easy example, but then you try to hum the guitar hook, right? And that is also going to be going at doing its own rhythmic thing that is totally separate from the chord progression and totally separate from the vocal part. And then half the time, there's a bass part that's then doing its own thing that's a different rhythm. So another thing to learn is, is sort of finding another rhythm pocket that's still within you know the basic one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So yeah, this might still be within that for say four, four time, but there's infinite rhythms inside of that to find. So overall, Goldilocks rule is basically that we should go to the edge of our current abilities so that we don't get bored and so that we improve and we tend to experience peak motivation and oftentimes peak productivity in that range. And as songwriters, there's several areas that we can that we can relate that to. Working on our instrument skills, how good we are at the different instruments we play, our writing skills, both music writing and lyric writing, and then our recording skills and our arranging skills. So you can see it as like this five different easy to see places where we can directly apply this Goldilocks rule and constantly be at that edge of our ability. And then we push our edge of ability out once that starts to become second nature to us. And then we find the new edge of our ability and then work on that. So hopefully this helped you. If it was, again, be sure to pick up 10 different ways to start writing a song. And I think I also mentioned that I'd put the, the four pillars of music theory guide in the description as well because well we, we talked about uh we talked about keys and chords and all that and for the record that guide breaks down intervals which is at the basis of basically everything music theory that i think is very important to know uh and then keys and then chords in the context of keys and then chord progressions in the context of keys which i say that because really it's the difference between understanding chords in the sense of Roman numeral notation versus just like, oh, it's a C major chord. Like, well, okay. But a C major chord in the context of G major has a totally different job and sound than a C major chord in the context of C major. In C major, C major is the one chord, it's home. In G major, it's the four chord, which has a totally different job than that one chord. So all to say, if you're interested in that, be sure to check that out as well. And I'll put a link in the description for the Left Hand Patterns book and Atomic Habits as well. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I'll talk to you in the next one. <laughs>